that Thanksgiving is found in this passage. Um, and it's uh, very sobering um, and exciting connection uh, for me as I look at this, that Thanksgiving isn't just a nice thing to do, but it's critical. Um, and so it's critical for us as a church to be mindful of that as we look at God's Word. And so um, I want to I start with talking about this morning, just a, a few verses back that we looked at last week. If you weren't here last week, shame on you. I just did that for, you know, those of you who struggled with legalism and you just need people to tell you shame on you every once in a while. And it reminds you of your past and you love it. You're going to love it. Um, shame on you. Anyways, um, last week we looked at really the, the um, people would say the thesis of the book of Romans and really those beginning thoughts uh, to set a course for the whole book, the whole letter. Um, and Paul says something that uh, has been repeated over and over again. And uh, maybe it sounds funny to us, but he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And last week we looked at this idea uh, that why would we be ashamed of something that is the saving message, the powerful saving message that uh, we need, but everybody needs uh, so desperately. And so that's Paul connecting those dots and placing the gospel. And when I say the gospel, it's not his gospel. It's not our gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about him uh, that we identify with and claim for our very own. Um, and we're excited about that because it is salvation. If you look back at it, you realize that uh, just a few things, and I, I've said them already, but uh, he's not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. It's the power of God working in us for what? For salvation. Um, I, I think so often we get, when we talk about power of God and working in this life, we think that miracles would be exciting. Uh, we think of uh, money, God blessing us with money. Boy, that would be his power. And we talk about things like that, or, or maybe healing of our body and just how exciting that would be. And, and these things show his power, and they could and do. But the greatest power ever shown uh, was the power of the resurrection, the work of Jesus on the cross, right? And how that transforms dead, spiritually dead people like me and you. Uh, this is the greatest power. And so Paul's thinking about his message that he's going to share, the gospel. And he says, it's the power of God, the gospel to change but I want to tie in some things here for you. Verse 17. Uh, for it, verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed. We're going to hear words similar to that in the next section. The idea of God revealing something to us. Giving us something. Uh, it's not about man figuring things out. It's not about, you know, miners, if you will, uh, digging deep down in places that no one's ever seen before and finding something because they were smart. It's God revealing. And what is he revealing? Verse 17, his righteousness, his righteousness. And we talked last week about the idea that it's not your righteousness or my righteousness. It's not what we think is a good idea, but it is that which God is showing himself. God is showing what he thinks about morality and the things that go on down here. And so he is in the business uh, of, to us of revealing his righteousness. And then it goes on that the righteous shall live by faith, which brings us back to this idea. How could I be righteous? How could I be righteous? Having been guilty how could I be really righteous? Um, I want to tell you that's the power of God working in salvation. That's his uh, gospel doing a work that we could not do. And so that Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. So we get to verse 18 this morning. 
Uh, and I, I want you to see the connection. I want you to see this in context. Um, I, I think it's important to have verses that we love. I, I think it's important. I think uh, to have scripture art around your house is essential. <laughs> I like to use the words of the culture, right? Uh, I think it's important to keep the word of God in front of you. Uh, and so grab those ones that are important to you. But know this, they're part of a context. Um, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel is in a context of something else. It's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, verse 18, the wrath of God, the wrath of God. Verse 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You look at that and you, you see things that are important for us to understand. The wrath of God um, is real, is real. Um, you, most of the time when you think about who is God, what is he like? And you say, oh, God is love. God is love. And he is, he is. There's, there's no way of disputing it. If you say he isn't, you're wrong. You're wrong. Shame on you. Um, read the scriptures. God is love. God is love. Um, you, you look at this and, and you say, well, God is love. Uh, so the idea of him being a God of wrath, oh, that must not be true. I want to tell you the opposite of love is hate, is hate. Not necessarily anger, right? Uh, sometimes that can be wrapped in, right? But this is what, what this is sharing with us. The gospel is God loving us when we are unlovable and changing us when we couldn't be changed uh, is put side by side, side by side, verse 18, with the wrath of God. In the same way that righteousness, God's righteous um, ideas, his morality uh, is revealed to us. And the idea uh, that God is revealing that is, is the idea that he is revealing that. He has, he is, and he's constantly doing this. Um, if you look at the book of Romans, when it says the wrath of God is revealed, you're really going to see a couple, two and a half chapters of God revealing the sinfulness of man and what he thinks about it. Uh, you're going to see that in the next couple of chapters is just our inability, our inability, our emptiness uh, apart from God doing a work and what is in us is sin and his wrath is coming. And so he's revealing that. He is in the process of doing that. As you see this, uh, I, I want to tell you, if you look at the Old Testament, he reveals at different times in different places his wrath. He, he, in a worldly, sort of down here sort of way, in a small portion compared to what is coming. That's true in the New Testament as well. Uh, you, you can see this in the Word of God, in the book of Romans. You can see him revealing uh, his anger his anger. And as you look at what is going to happen at the conclusion of this world, you will see his anger on display, his wrath on display in a magnificent way um, that is hard for us to imagine, even though we have words that describe it. What you have here is, it says it, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven from heaven. And you can say it this way, that from God's residence, uh, his judgment is revealed. Uh, the idea of heaven being the place of God's residence now comes down to earth and shows his anger. God is coming down and showing uh, what he thinks about what's going on in this world and specifically the acts of men. I, I want to say this, that what is being revealed is God's anger and actions, and actions. 
And, and, and it's important for us to understand that his anger is not like our anger. Uh, have you ever gotten angry before? just wanted to get everyone in that one. I didn't want to like, do any of you have anger management problems? And like, I didn't want to have a show of hands and stuff like that or, or pointing. Pointing in church is just bad, um, especially at your spouse. Um, it, we get anger, angry all the time. Um, I, I was trying to think of an example and one came to me right now and uh, I, I didn't get angry. Perturbed, you know. Um, your pastor is a pretty, um, pretty amiable guy. Like I like to go with the flow, you know. I, I'm I'm easy going, but have you ever gone to like one of those um, times where you're dealing with uh, where you're having coffee with the superintendent of schools? <laughs> those things I argue with complete strangers, complete strangers. Um, I, I haven't lost it or anything like that, but uh, um, yeah, the, the idea of like like we have emotional anger. Uh, it can happen at various times. It can happen even alone. You know, when you're working on your car, uh, you know, throwing tools and stuff like that. Um, it can happen in your family, in your relationships with your spouse or your kids. Anger can come, and there's this this emotion attached to it. And a lot of times with our anger, our frustration, it's not tied to reality or clarity of the situation. It's just frustration that boils over. And so sometimes when we look at uh, passages like this, we say, oh, does God get that way? I know about anger. I get angry. Oh, God's like me. No, (laughs) he is not like you. It's hard for us to get our head around this. The wrath of God is different. He doesn't cease being righteous when he is angry. He doesn't cease being holy. He doesn't even cease being loving. And so we need to really think about this in a clear way. God does not become uncontrollable and show fits of rage. His anger is a fitting anger, a fitting anger. It's appropriate for the situation. It's appropriate. It's appropriate. It's connected to the particular offense. It's accurate. It's clear. Um, It is emotional in the sense that God is not um, unconnected or uncaring about the objects of his wrath. They are his creation. And so we see and is clear to us from Paul, from God, that God's wrath is revealed both in Scripture and in time and will be magnified in the end. What is uh, God's wrath for? So uh, if I think about this right now, most of you go, yeah. Some of you have been around the church a long time. You say, yeah, God does get angry. And you say, well, who does he get angry at? Democrats. (laughs) You know, lawyers. Uh, My in-laws. You know, I don't know who you're thinking of right now. Uh, you're, You're thinking about those other people that God somehow is angry at other people. That there's someone out there that there's some group of people, and, and some of you think in terms of, yeah, this world system. I want to tell you that this passage, uh, there are other passages that talk about world system and what's going on. This passage is not talking about world system. It's talking about people. People. And I would say it this way, all people, all people. A reoccurring theme in these first couple of chapters of the book of Romans is all people. All. I want to tell you that's important for you to know. Because it includes you. It includes your grandparents. It includes your, your spouse. It includes your kids. The anger of God. 
that he's revealing. And what does he reveal it against? And, and who is the object of his anger? Look at what it says. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All of it. It's not just particular sins that he gets mad at. It's not uh, particular offenses from particular people or groups of people. I think often, you know, in our days of, and we struggle with the issue of racism, of even knowing what it is, but we look at people that are different than us and we go, oh, you know, uh, those, that group of people, whether it be a nationality or a race or the idea of some kind of ethnic group or, or um, some kind of religious structure, and we say, oh, God's mad at them. And I want to say, yes, but all, but all. We, we look at this and we want to separate out the good people and the bad people. And what you see in the book of Romans is we're looking really hard to find the good people. Because in and of ourselves, there is none. There is none. It's important for us to remember. Sometimes in our self-righteousness, we say, well, you know, I go to work every day, pay my taxes. You know, I'm trying to raise my kids and do my thing. And like, there are other bad people who aren't as good as me. Those are the ones talking about in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, wrath of God. I want to tell you it's not true. He says, all, all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. As you look at these two words, um, a lot of times we do this when we're trying to uh, make a point of all. We use a couple of different words, three words, or we make a long list. And we get to the end of the long list and we say, etc. or everybody else, or all kinds of other things. But he too, uses two huge words. Uh, all, well, he says all about these words. First of all, all ungodliness, the idea of offenses to God. Uh, this word ungodly is, is like a word of idolatry and, and, and really connects that the offense is not against man, but it's against God. What we do against God. And you say, well, I don't, I don't offend God at all. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. Anything that rejects his commands or worships something else, it's an offense against God. It is ungodly. When you start worshiping and seeing the importance and neglecting the worship of God, that's ungodly. That, that's what that word means. The second word, unrighteousness, is the idea of offense against men. Uh, one another, it, it's the idea of morality. As you think about what, what it is that we might do, uh, there's things that we do that are immoral, that they offend the people that we're supposed to be living with on this planet. They're connected like this, which is still an offense against God, but it makes the distinction, God were defenses, men were defenses, and all of them. And you go, oh. So what are we found apart from the gospel? Guilty, guilty. And why does God get angry? Why does he have a wrath? It's because of what men and women do. And his wrath is revealed or it is uh, proclaimed and, and shown both in this passage, the passages to come, but also in uh, humanity but as I said before, will be on display, magnificent display uh, in the end of time. As he looks upon this, he says, why is the wrath? And, and you would ask, well, why is God angry? It's because of what we do. It, it's a, and it's appropriate. It's important for us to get that. That it is not like our anger, but it's an appropriate anger that, that is marked um, by a justice, um, this idea, it's a fitting anger because it's the right response to what has gone on. I want to say this too, uh, and this is important for us to hear these next couple of chapters. 
apart from Jesus, it's on me. It's on me. You know, uh, most of us have siblings, siblings, and, you know, sometimes mom and dad are, are angry. And uh, those of you who have more siblings, uh, you say, well, at least they're not angry at me, right? Uh, you, you don't care if mom and dad are angry, you just care if mom or dad are angry at you. Um, there is a, a sense of that here. Um, and apart from the gospel, he is angry at us. Uh, don't get that confusion. Sometimes in our world, we portray God as a loving God who would never uh, show punishment or be angry at anybody. That's not true. That's what Scripture tells us differently. What we see here is uh, these individuals and a group of individuals God is showing his anger upon them. It says, by, uh, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, suppress the truth, that word suppress there is a hard one. Uh, other translations uh, translate it different ways. And just don't get hung up on that. I, I know some of you are uh, pre- precise people and you're nervous about the scripture and you go, well, which word is it? You know, is it translated improperly? The idea here. Uh, is we're taking one language and translating it in another. It's just tough. Uh, those of you who know a different language realize that it's not a math thing, right? Uh, it's rarely one-to-one. This word means this. Uh, in English, we have three words that mean this, that are translated this. And then in Greek, there's nine. And in Hebrew, there's four. And, uh, you know, and you, you go, oh, which word is it? And, and you're constantly doing this. Is it this word? No, that's too strong. That's too light. You know? And you're going back and forth. And so as you look at this, they translated this word suppress. And for us, to suppress uh, is probably the idea, idea here is probably a better word of holding back, holding back, of, you know, keeping it over here. And, and let me explain. Let me explain. So uh, the truth, uh, is the truth good or bad? Good. Uh, most of you say it's good. Well, sometimes the truth is bad in the sense that it's true that it's not good for us, Right? You kind of know where I went with that. But anyways, think that through. Truth. Um, for instance, for instance, there's no money in your bank account. That might be true. It's not necessarily good, right? But it's true. Uh, when you look at the gospel, uh, the gospel is good news. Good news. Uh, is it good news? Yes, it's good news. Uh, but it's only good news for those who believe. That's true. Um, And what we're seeing and what we're going to see in Romans over and over and over again is truth, really, throughout the Bible. Actually, truth is good outside of the Bible here, right? It's a sunny day. That's true. You know, it's good for you to uh, go along with the truth that your mind agrees with what is true. That's important. But if you're uh, holding back the truth, holding back the truth, what, what the picture here is this. This is what I want to be true. This is what is true. Uh, what should I do when they disagree? I should change in my mind what is true so that what I want to be true can still be true. That's suppressing the truth. That's suppressing the truth. It's to try to fashion your world to fit what you want to be true. Everybody does this. And I I just want you to get that it's good for you to embrace and to walk in that which is true. Okay, that's just, that's just true. Um, Romans chapter 1, what is the context? What is it talking about? It's talking about the gospel and the anger of God. The righteousness that he revealed and the anger 
against those who are ungodly and unrighteous. That's true. That's true. And if you shove that away or you reinterpret it to fit your own story, that's bad for you. And you fall into this category of people who suppress the truth. And you go, well, shouldn't I be able to make up my own reality and like live my, if I'm not hurting anybody, what does it matter? I want to tell you, it matters to God. What is this passage talking about? It's talking about God's anger. And we don't want to be in good relationship with our own person and in bad relationship, eternally bad relationship with the God of the universe. Very important for us to get. And so he identifies those people he is angry with are those uh, who are... um, Ungodly and unrighteous, the things they do, and suppressors of the truth or holding back the truth or readjusting it to fit uh, their story. I want to tell you that rejecting the truth is bad in politics, it's bad in current events, it's bad in medicine, it's bad in ideas about the planet, about health, about anything. It's bad. But it's more critical when it comes to the issues of your soul than anything. What we're talking about is uh, the truth about God and the truth about me. Real simple. This is passage is talking about what's true about God and what's true about me. And what's true about me is going to go on for a while longer in these chapters. And you say, well... You know, first of all, are you, are you God? Are you God? Are you going to be God anytime soon? Are you going to be God when you die? You say, well, well I want to be. I want to be in charge today. I want to grow to a, a sense of being in control of the universe in the days to come. And when I die, the idea that I would be in charge of eternity, that sounds like a great idea. I want to tell you, it's not true, though. And so it's important to see yourself as what is true, as what is true. And how we do that is through seeing in the eyes of God what he's shared in his word. Secondly, this is about God. What's true about God? Well, I think God, I think God is, oh, that's a bad starting to a, a, a terrible conversation, right? Well, I think God is. Forget about what you think God is. Forget about it. Who is he? Who is he? Who is God? And if we see the truth about God, he is a loving God. He's a God of power. He's a God of the gospel. That's his plan. This is God, God of the gospel who desires to change men and women from their sinful state to their righteous state by the work of Jesus on the cross. That's true about God. But for those who reject that message, his anger will come out forever. The wrath of God. This is what's true. And we don't want to suppress that. We want to embrace that. I realize this is intense. But don't you want to hear from God? Don't you want to hear the truth? I got some great lies I could tell you, but this is the good news of Jesus. As we move on, uh, we, we realize that as we see this relationship, God being God and me being me, uh, we, we see the existence of the glorious God that is to be obeyed, worshipped, and depended upon. But what about God? What if we don't do this? What if we don't do this? And this is really what we're going to be talking about in the weeks to come in this passage. Um, and I'll just breeze through this, but we will be getting into it uh, deeper in next week. Uh, verse 19 
What about God? For, for what, we, what can be known about God is plain to them. Plain. It's clear. Um, because God has shown it uh, to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, divine nature, and having been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made uh, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I'll just stop there. What about God? Well, first of all, I'd just say this. Um, God is plain to see in our world today. Plain to see. In an excuse sort of way. Like you, you can't help. Everybody knows who God is. Not in a sense of personal and relationship, but everybody knows there's a God. And why? Why? How do they know? What does it say? Through creation. Through creation. I, I want to be clear on this. And I know some of you struggle with the issues of evolution and science and stuff like that. I want to tell you the greatest worshiper of God should be the scientist. It should be. Why? That's how God's known. You can see him in science. You know, it should be the botanist, right? It should be the the guy who works in the forest, right? It it should be the, the guy, the fisherman who's out at sea, should be the person who does those ultrasounds with pregnant moms. It's plain to see, unless you suppress the truth, of course. And then uh, you can think you're God and think you're in charge and think you know everything and have to come up with an alternate reality when it comes to where we came from. And like, that needs to be true. Why? It's simple. It's simple. Because God has shown himself to a degree so that all can see without excuse. We'll go into the details of that, but that's all we're going to talk about for now. Know this, God has shown himself just as he has revealed his righteousness, just as he has revealed his anger, he's also revealed himself, revealed himself. As we look at this, Some crazy guy's stealing a lady's purse at church. No, no problem, Paul. Love that guy. As we look at the scriptures, uh, and not at the purses, uh, but we see for all, for all creation that, that God had a plan. And had a plan. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just that things would work and the seasons and animals and baby animals and the grow and the, you know, the, the food chain. It wasn't all, just all that. It was him revealing himself to his creation and specifically not his creation, all creation, but to mankind. To show them all. I would even say this. Let me be careful. Even apart from these words... This is true of everyone, everywhere, apart from them seeing the scripture. They know there's a God of creation. And so God has shown himself. And so what needs to happen when God shows himself? And this is where I want to get real personal with you this morning. Sometimes we want to talk philosophically. Well, what about the people in the jungle? Which jungle are you talking about? Well, you know, the people who have never heard. Well, let's talk about the people of the jungle in California. Used to live in L.A. or Bakersfield or Lancaster or wherever you moved from. Now you live in Tehachapi. You're sitting at Bear Valley Church and you have an electronic Bible on your phone or a printed word in your hand. And you're seeing plenty. You're, you're seeing way more than what is in creation. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with God? I want to tell you, uh, this is a hard message. This is a hard section to be. Uh, I always like to be a positive preacher. Uh, I, 
I smile when I say that. I'm not that positive of a person, uh, but I realize that, that uh, it's good news, right? Uh, you don't want to soft sell the good news, but you want to find the good news in every passage. And you're saying the wrath of God, what's the good news in the wrath of God? Um, and, you know, it doesn't sound very good of uh, a title for a message. Hey, next week you're going to talk about the anger of God and how angry he is at you. Um, but what is the good news? I, I want to tell you, there's a good news passage in these verses, and it's in the response, the proper response to what you know about God. And this didn't happen in this passage. This is something that uh, is put in the negative, but I'll share it to you in the positive that you might see what you need to be doing today in this week. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they'd seen him, creation, whatever, uh, the, the things that have been created, but his attributes in those, what does it say? They did not honor God, him as God or give thanks to him. Those are the two proper responses to what you know about God today. Both what you know about him from creation from your family, from your upbringing, from all that, plus what you know in Scripture. What is the proper response? Let let me give them to you. Honor Him. Honor Him. Other translations, it says glorify Him. Probably a better translation is glorify Him. Because this... So when we think of honoring, um, I think of different... uh, situations I've been in where, you know, you're with somebody and you want to say a kind word about them. Uh, You see a fireman, officer of the law, and you, you say, oh, it's a fireman. And there's a bit of respect that comes to your mind or should when you see a fireman. And even more so if you see a cop, right? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I just want to get the, it's always good to get the firemen against the cops and vice versa. It's always fun to do that. There's a bit of respect. Or maybe uh, you're in court, you're in court and you see a judge, all rise, the honorable, you know, and they, and you're supposed to stand up and you're supposed to show respect. It doesn't mean that you have any kind of relationship with the, the judge. Uh, you don't say, hey, buddy, let's go out for lunch. You know, there, there's just an honor. There's a tipping of your hat. There's a giving of honor to them apart from relationship just because of who they are. That's most of the time what we say, honor, the honorable, right? We, we give them honor apart from who they are. This is different. The, the idea it's going farther than that. It, it's not just the idea of of saying polite things or kind things or even flattering things. It's the idea of responding, falling down in worship. It's the idea of acknowledging God is good. He is worthy. And my response to him, the only appropriate one, by the way, um, if you think Jesus is nice, that's inappropriate. More than that, if you think the God of the Scripture, uh, God the Father, who, who worked out this plan of creation and the things to come, if you think it's, eh, it's kind of nice that he did that, you're missing the point. The idea here is that we, the only proper response to a holy, righteous, loving, gospel God, right? God who gave us the gospel, the only proper response is worship, to glorify Him, to magnify Him, to worship Him, and to fall down. It's not just saying some nice things. So the first thing is this, that our lives, because of who God is, should be worshiping Him, glorifying Him. The second thing, and it's kind of the same, is thanking Him. Thanking Him. So uh, I, I really think that complaining and thanksgiving are kind of the opposites of each other. I think one sucks the life out of the other, right? 
Um, I want you to go home this week and look around your house, look at the people that you live with, look at those pictures of your offspring and good times, uh, and, and find the imperfections. Find the imperfections, and then focus on them. Be a great week, wouldn't it? You say, oh, you mean like last week? Is it hard to complain? No. Comes easy. Some of us are pros. You know, we've, we've had years of working on it, right? Thanksgiving's more difficult. Why? Well, because we're focused on what we don't have, but forget what we do. It's the idea, and, and what we're doing, um, it's funny because probably happening right now or happened in the few moments before or in the next moments, some kid, one of your kids, one of those Sunday school class is saying, oh, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for myself. The pastor's kids have said that, you know, until they, they're mother was gasping at, what did you, what did you say? Um, we, we're thankful for ourselves. Why is that such an offense against God? Think about that right now. I'm getting too personal, I know. Uh, why is the idea of thanking God for ourselves or just being thankful to ourselves, for ourselves, why is that such an offense to God? Because it doesn't acknowledge him being the one who is overall, the one who is good, and the one who is the God of blessing. Do you have a car that works? Some of you have multiple cars that work. Some of you have cars that don't work, and you should also be thankful for them because somebody, some people don't even have the potential of the car working, right? You have a house. You say, oh, but I don't like the paint. Well, be thankful for the roof. Well, the roof leaks, not the whole roof, right? The the idea that God has blessed you with anything, anything, reflects on him being good and him being over. I want to dive into this just a touch more because I, I think that we struggle with getting this. You see, when we... Uh, see something good, or we see blessings, or we see riches, or we see kindness, or we see uh, provision, we need to trace that back to where it came from. It came from God. It was His stuff. How many of you have ever gardened? In Tehachapi, in Tehachapi if any single thing like one bean grows in your garden, you should stand there and appreciate it, right? Rejoice, rejoice. This bean grew. Because you realize there's a lot of things that need to happen and a lot of them are out of your control in making them happen. I want to tell you that much of our world today, and I, I say this in our modern world, much of our modern world is the idea of let's get God out of the picture. Let's get God out of the picture. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get into meddling here, but I'm going to, okay? And if it, you don't like it, um, I was going to say don't come back next week because you won't like next week even more. Not, not because I'm going to do some more meddling, but let, let's talk about solar energy. Let's talk about solar energy. Why do we have solar energy? Some of you are like, I love this. Let's talk about it. Well, it's green energy, right? It's not like those dirty coal mines or whatever is going on. Um, you know, and how did we get solar energy? How did we get solar energy? Well, we were smart. We were smart. We, you know, we, you know, a bunch of us smart people got together and we figured out we figured out something that nobody had ever figured out before. And we made these things that nobody could ever done and, except if they were as smart as us. And so we figured out a way to do solar energy. 
were like, it's nearly free, except for you have to pay for my brains and the natural resources to make these solar panels, and they won't work for everybody. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and they'll have a better one next week. But, um, the, you know, solar energy. Well, let's talk about wind energy if you really want to get uh, meddling, right? Wind energy. You know, we, uh, we have these amazing wind turbines. How do those get there? Well, smart people again, right? If you've been here a long time, a long time. They used to have these really cool ones that were kind of like an avocado when they were spinning, right? I, I guess those didn't work very well because those are gone. Um, but they've been bigger and better, and they just keep making bigger ones, and they're really cool, and some of you make a living off those. Um, and it's great. It's great. It's, you know, once again, green energy, better, smart people, company, making money, great state of California, all that stuff. Um, so you have wind and you have solar. And so why is that great? Well, it's great because smart people figured out better ways to do things. And we don't need God. We don't need God. Except, of course, for both the wind and the sun, you know, which are his, right? His are his. No man put those there. No man turns it on, turns it off. Anyways, they, they will figure out a way to turn off the wind here eventually. Um, Quantum computing, you got this amazing computer. If you put in all this data, it can figure out what's going to happen in the future, right? We can figure it out, you know. Even in baseball, they figured out if you just get the right stats, you can figure out which team's going to win. You don't even really need to play the game because we just figured it out because we're so smart. We're math people and we got a computer and a calculator and we are smart. You know, we went into space. And we can go back there, right? We can even do space tourism. Now, you know, when you're meddling in a Tatchby, right? You're sort of talking about space tourism and sending people up in there and getting them back and stuff like that. Why? Because engineers are so smart. It's good to see some of them here this morning. Um, and they're smart and we can figure these things out. And you know what? We don't need people for anything anymore. In fact, you know, we're going to figure out how we can make machines to cut people out of the process. So you really don't need them. You can go to Walmart, Albertsons, Saymart, wherever you want to go. Pretty soon in Tehachapi, we're going to, uh, or in uh, Bear Valley Church, we're not going to have pastors. We're just going to have machines uh, because pastors cost too much and they're unreliable. And uh, so we are going to figure out artificial intelligence that just a computer can do what people do. And we won't have to deal with their emotions and their soul and stuff like that. We'll just get rid of them because we're smart. Because we're smart. What about greenhouses? What about greenhouses? You know, Cummings Valley, beautiful, beautiful Cummings Valley. Got these monstrous greenhouses. I, I, full disclosure, I have a greenhouse at my house. Full disclosure. But at night, I don't know if you've seen this, wah, 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 there's aliens in there, you know, and they're pink. Why? Fake light. Fake light. We don't need any light. We don't need any sun. We, got, we can buy a light, grow marijuana or whatever, right? I'm on a roll this morning. What are they growing in there? They say tomatoes, but uh, I don't know. Um, I want to tell you, you don't need people. You don't need sun. You don't need anything that God produces. You can do without him. How about fake meat? We don't need cows, chickens. We'll just, we don't even need soybeans. We can just make it in, you know, in the lab somewhere. Be better for you. It'll be better for the environment. You know, no cows doing what cows do, right? Uh, and we'll figure it out. And we're so smart, we can feed the world without God. I, I, I want to I come to the end of this. It, you know, and, and all these things are probably fine in their, in their roles, in their places, right? I'm not, a, I'm not against progress. I don't think God's against progress. In fact... Uh, he loves it. He loves it when people honor him and think great thoughts and figure out things that he's figured out before. 
And he loves it when people care about one another and try to do better for the people around them and provide for them. He loves it. But at the end of the day, if all praise be given to the politicians, to the engineers, to the scientists, to the doctors, because they were so smart because they invented something that no one's ever known anything about, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of God's creation. And I just want to encourage you, trace your blessings. Trace your blessings. Where'd they, where'd they come from? Who made the stuff? Who made the sun? Who made the galaxies? Who made the building materials? Who made the, the resources that we have? Who made the brains of the scientists? You know, what's funny about that? Is there's a lot of ungodly scientists <laughs> that... They don't know, they don't know that their brain, that they didn't make. <laughs> that even when they, it's funny because every time they have this great invention, uh, a believer can come up to them and just go, praise God. And they go, no, 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 praise me. <laughs> no, I'm praising the God who made your brains, you know, and without which you're going to lose your mind and it might happen real soon. So what are we doing? What are we doing? Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, I want to encourage you this week to trace your blessings back to the blesser. To thank the Lord for who he is and what he has done for you and your family. That's the purpose of this. It's really the purpose of us responding to our creator, responding to him in faith, responding and trusting him in his plan and not rejecting him not glorifying him or honoring him, not giving him thanks. It's the wrong response to our holy God. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of being with your people. Help us to see, uh, see our lives and the blessings around us and to attribute them not to ourselves, not to men, not to this world, not to the universe, not to the creation, but to our creator. God, help us to walk with you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.